This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message. We're so glad that you're here this morning. Um, We are in the middle of a series um, called Unbecoming. We're looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And um, this morning, we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read it. And I want to tell you that I think it's funny that God has a sense of humor because I was, I had planned this series months before. Okay, so in my mind, we were going to be back to normal by the first week in October. Like, that's, that's how I was kind of, anybody else thinking that way? Like, life was going to be regular, And then it wasn't. But I'd already had this sermon series planned, and this particular message was planned. And I'm going to tell you that there are times when a pastor wants to pawn it to somebody else. Not pawn it, lovingly give it by the Spirit of God. Okay, so we're going to read the text, and then we're going to talk about it. I I think this text in Matthew chapter 6 might be the most subversive thing Jesus tells us to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so let's read it starting at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I I do want to just point out, for anybody that says that Jesus was just straight, like, he's being very sarcastic here. And he, if the, those of you that have that kind of humor, this is what he's like kind of making fun of the disciples here because clearly the answer is no. Okay, we'll keep going. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you You of little faith. God cares about fashion. 31. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow tomorrow will worry about itself. Um, So these words from Matthew chapter 6 and they were spoken to people living under Roman occupation, would have really hit a nerve with the people listening. But in the year 2021, when nothing is normal and we don't know what tomorrow will bring, these words are also subversive to us. And we've been talking um, for the last number of weeks about how the Sermon on the Mount really challenges the insistent belief in, in the human heart that everything can be solved through power. And this is what Jesus is speaking to this entire sermon. He's telling the people, listen, you think that you're going to get life by finding power through your own self. And I'm going to tell you a totally upside down way. Jesus, particularly in this passage, really paints a subversive way of living, an upside down kingdom. And if you think about it, um, some of the things that worry really is always tied to power. Um, Because worry is derived from our own perceived sense that we have some power to change things. 
right? So um, you really only worry about those things that you feel like you have some control over. Am I not right about this? Now, if you worry about other things, that, that, that goes into the land of um, an anxiety disorder. This is not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about run-of-the-mill, everyday... I get into a ditch because I started worrying about things. Okay, so let's think if you, if um, Psychology Today did a survey um, a long time ago, and they found out that people worry about basically the same things. So you can look at your neighbors and realize that we're all worrying about the same things. First thing we worry about is our finances. And if you worked in an industry that got shut down or might be getting shut down this week, then you're right there. Um, your health, because that's something... They tell us at least we can control, like some weeks they tell us you control it by drinking a lot of coffee, and some weeks they tell us not to drink coffee at all, and that is worrisome. But anyways, we try to, uh, we try to follow all the things. Um, we worry about our relationships, so our relationships with our um, friends and family. We worry about what people think about us. These are the things that we worry about. And conversely, we don't often worry about those things that we can do nothing about, correct? Like nothing, you don't, none of you probably stayed up last night, all night, worrying about a meteor that might hit Earth. Or that you might get hit by a, because you have no power to do anything about that. Do, do you see how, how worry and power are tied together? How you feel like, what power you feel or what power you do not feel like you have um, really speaks to our worry. So worry in its essence is about our own sense of power. And Jesus comes on the scene and says this, my way is different he, he's speaking to every level of power or, or every level of our perceived power in our lives. And Jesus says this again, I'm going to ask you to lay down your power and not worry. And this is a tall order, is it not? I was talking with a few friends uh, a couple of weeks ago about the scripture and someone very bravely and wisely asked this question. How in the world is it even possible to not worry in this climate. Like we often read scripture and we're convicted by it. <clears throat> but sometimes we read scripture and we just go, Jesus didn't really mean it. He clearly did not live in 2021. When there's like 8,000 things to be worried about. Um, but the scripture actually always should confront us. Should make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And this is the real question we have to ask ourselves. How do we actually live out the words of Jesus here? The question is not, have we heard this scripture? I mean, if you've never been to church in your life, you've never heard of Jesus, I'm pretty much going to be sure that you've heard the, these words. Like, you don't have to worry because tomorrow will worry about itself. And if you've ever listened to Jesus or any reggae song, right? Like, don't worry, be happy. Okay. But this is, this is actually not what Jesus is talking about. Uh, this is so this is my question to you why do you worry like ser seriously why do you worry it's not a rhetorical question do you worry because you're worried you won't you won't be enough do you worry because you feel like you don't have it figured out do you worry because you're worried your relationship won't make the test of time why do you worry we all know that Jesus uh, said that worrying is not going to add any time to our lives. So the question is, why do we do it? Do you worry about your worry? 
I've been there. I was a little bit there this week. Like, God, I got to preach on worry this week. So, like, I, I can't worry. I, I can't stop worrying. I think it's often because we don't know in other ways possible. So from the time we're little people, we get entrenched in these worry sort of ways, and we're not sure that another way is possible. So we read the words of Jesus, and we think, I believe you, Jesus, but not really. Because I actually, like, I'm from a long line of worriers. From the days of old in my family tree, we've been professional worriers. It's hard for us to do this. And you didn't really mean it for our family tree, Lord Jesus. Only other people. So the word worry in Greek actually means, it means take no thought. Like to, to take no thought to something. The idea is that every time we have a choice to pick up a worrying thought. And, and the idea here is that actually when we pick up that thought, what we do is we spin round and round in circles. Like, because the truth is worrying doesn't take you anywhere, does it? So a lot of us are spending our whole lives spending, uh, you know, do you remember when your phone came out with how long you'd been on the phone? You remember that? And now every Sunday on my way to church, it tells me your phone consumption is up or down and it's awful. It's awful because before that time you could trick yourself, right? Did any of you trick yourself? And the, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a person who's into technology barely at all. I mean, I check the weather, and I read the news. I check Instagram very unfrequently, infrequently. And then you got that thing on Sunday morning telling you how much you were on your phone. You were like, no, that wasn't me. Clearly, that was my kids taking the phone. Worry's a little bit like that. Like a lot of you are, are listening to this and say, I don't worry. I sleep well at night, particularly if I take NyQuil. Oh, I don't, I don't worry. I'm just praying. <laughs> I don't worry. So, okay. The problem is we often don't acknowledge how much we worry and how much it takes out of our lives. But oftentimes we're picking up these thoughts and we're going round and round and round and round and round and round because you're not going anywhere. You pick up the thought of worry and you go round and round and round and round and round. And then you stop and you wonder, I should not have gone that many times around. <laughs> You wonder why you can't get anywhere. You wonder why you can't walk straight. You wonder why everything seems out of focus and why God doesn't seem present. Could it be that like your phone, you're on it, you're worrying way too much? You know, I, you know when I don't worry, though? When I'm with somebody that already knows the outcome. Okay, so it is no surprise our family is a sports family. And... I like to watch the games in real time, but I'll tell you, in the playoffs, I'm the worst. Any kind of playoff, like, so the Blue Jays, it looks like, uh, did we win? Did we play last night? Did we win? Okay, good. So, so when we're coming close to the playoffs, I can't watch because I, I worry, I guess. And um, so I get busy, and I, what I like to do, though, is watch the game afterwards, but I like to watch it with someone that's watched it already. <laughs> The reason for that is this, that you can sit on the couch and watch it, and if they're like going, like getting really mad, you know, okay, it's going to be bad. I, I can like steal myself up for this. But if they're like, oh, this is, because you know, people always tell you that, you know, you, you know when you watch a movie with someone who's already, you've already seen the outcome, 
Even people who pretend they're not good, you're terrible at it. You tell the outcome with your body language. So what I do is I sideways look at someone. If their body language is like, everything's going to be okay, I'm okay too. And I'm loving watching this game. Uh, a few years ago, uh, before we didn't go anywhere, uh, I would often go on little planes, places. Uh, when, I, when I was going to speak places, and these little planes I get nervous on. But I found a trick that if I watched the flight attendant or if I was on a really little plane and I watched the pilot, it was really helpful to me. Because if the flight attendant or the pilot were not freaking out, then I knew we were going to be okay. Conversely, if the flight attendant screamed, which one time did happen on a flight, then I realized that I needed to pray very hard at that point in time. Okay, But as long as the flight attendant is not freaking out, then there is no need to worry. Just break open the peanuts or pretzels or whatever you have. Um, I want to suggest that Jesus asks us not to worry this morning because he is always with us. He is like the friend who's already seen the end of the game sitting with you. And what do you need to do to stop worrying is just to turn your eyes and look at Jesus. And if he's not freaking out, you don't need to freak out either. This is the gospel. This is the subversive gospel that you are not doing this on your own. That you're not going to be one woman or one man pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. But that Jesus is already here, already knows the outcome. Okay, so worry, though, let me just uh, make a caveat here. Worry does not mean caution. Does not mean, so like nobody call somebody who wasn't here today, who for health reasons isn't here. Don't call them and say, Pastor Jess was preaching against you today. Okay, because worry, worrying is not the same as being cautious, nor is it the same as being concerned. Jesus is not a don't worry, be happy. He's not preaching that kind of a message here. And he's not saying don't work towards goals, just like whatever happens, man. Like That's, that's not what his words are. So, so what's the difference between caution, concern, and worry? Caution and concern allows us to still move forward, forward albeit a little bit slower, but worry stops us from moving forward. Worry gets us wound up going around and round and round and round and round. So let me ask you again. Why do you worry? Why are you going round and round and round in circles? I need to stop now. <laughs> you know when you get started going around in circles and you, you don't know where to stop? This, this is the question for all of us. What keeps us up at night? And how does this square with the message of Jesus? Okay, so how do we reverse the worry in our life is really the question, because all of us do this. How do, how do we actually do this? And I think the Bible gives us a whole bunch. I don't think I know it gives us a whole bunch of tools, and I want to talk about those. The, the first thing that we have to do is capture every thought. So if do not worry, the Greek means to not pick up a thought. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 tells us again, take every thought and make it captive and obedient to Jesus. And this, this is actually, we have to discipline ourselves to do this. Take every thought. And this is why you can't live at a breakneck pace. This is why I want to call us as men and women of God to live at a sustainable pace. If you're living at a breakneck speed, you can't take every cap thought and make it captive. You don't got time for that. You're late for 16 appointments already. But if we're actually going to live in the way of Jesus, we have to take every thought and make it captive. Um, this week, I just had one of those weeks where it seemed like there was a lot I could be worried about. Like, a lot. I, I, I wasn't perfect about it, but all week long I was saying, Jesus, I'm going to take that thought. 
mm, and I'm going to make it captive. I'm not going to pick it up. I'm not going to pick it up and start going round and round in circles. We've got to take every thought and make it captive, make it obedient to Jesus. The second thing that God, I, th I think, would have us do is see what God sees. I was struck this week by this um, story in 2 Kings chapter 6. So 2 Kings chapter 6 is this story about Elijah, uh, Elisha, sorry, and he has, um, he's, he's, has a prophetic gift. And the king of Aram is coming to fight Israel. And Elisha um, is told by the Lord, like, where he's going to be. It's a really good story, by the way. If you're wondering if God speaks to people, this is a really great story about that. Second Kings chapter 6 in the Old Testament. And um, so Elisha has all of these. Um, he, he's making the king of Aram mad. And the king of Aram says, listen, we're going to go get this man of God. We are going to kill him. That's what he says. And he comes to where Elisha is, and he surrounds the town. Now, Elisha is one person, one person being surrounded by a whole horde of chariots and fighting men. And truthfully, it does not look good for him. And by the way, um, the king of Aram is enraged, the Bible says. When someone is enraged at you, you don't really stand a good chance. Some of you feel like all kinds of things are enraged at you right now. You feel a little bit like you're surrounded. And um, he says to him, send the men and capture him. And you know, he's not just going to capture him and play a game with him. He's going to kill him. And then he sent horses and chariots, verse 14 says, and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, okay, so Elisha has this servant. The servant's been reporting on all the things. Now, mind you, get, get this in your head. The servant has known that God has come to Elisha and spoken to him, and, and God's done miracles. Okay, so the servant has seen God work. But here's what happens. When the servant of the man of God got up and went up early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Now, here's what the, now the, man, the servant of the man of God did not go, bless God. God's going to do a miracle. Now, this is what he said. Oh, no, <coughs> my Lord. What shall we do? He has no idea what to do except for the thing that comes naturally to all of us, which is what? Worry. We're going to die. This is the worst. And then Elisha very calmly says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This is a really important line. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the, the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Listen to me, people of God. This is the kind of prayer we need to be praying for ourselves. God, I know that I feel surrounded right now. I feel like I can't make it. I, I feel like I can't. I just want to pick up the worry and I want to hold it and I want to pet it and I want to do all the things. God, would you open my eyes so that I can see that those that are for me are more than those that are against me. Some of you feel like like there's like everything is against you. It feels like you can't win. 
And you know, in the natural, Elisha couldn't win. The king of Aram was, Aram was actually bigger than all of Israel. I mean, they, they should have beat Israel, let alone one man. But when it feels like the world is conspiring against us, what we don't want to do is take the enemy's bait that says, you know what you should do? Just get in a corner and worry about it and stew about it. Get in a corner and turn yourself in circles till you're so dizzy you can't say which way is straight. The Lord's will for us would be to pray, God, would you open my eyes so that I can see that there are more that are for me than against me. Then the third thing we need to do is this, is get radically focused on the things that really matter. You know, this um, scripture from Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. I mean, that's on postcards. You might have it on a plaque in your house. You might have cross-stitched it before or knitted on a sweater. I mean, if there's a million secret, what's interesting is that we often don't think about it in the context of this, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is talking about worry. It's interesting, isn't it? Because this is actually the key to all of it. You don't want to worry? You got to you got to get radically focused on the things of God. You you got to seek first the kingdom of God. This is why nominal Christianity cannot cannot exist. It it doesn't it doesn't work. It doesn't work because we actually, Jesus is calling us to this very radical, like, God, I'm going to seek you first in everything. Yes, in everything. Seek first the kingdom of God. This is not just a verse for pastors or people that want to, like, do miracles. This is a call, a clarion call for every single Christian, that we would seek first the kingdom of God, that we would not seek power, that we would not seek prestige, that we would not seek our rights, that we would not seek, like, the, the list is... A thousandfold, but we would seek first the kingdom of God. So let me ask you this. In every part of your life, are you seeking first the kingdom of God? So what does that look like? It means, looks like laying down my rights. Laying down my agendas. This, these are not easy words that, can we just square with this? These are not easy words that Jesus spoke to us. He didn't say like, hey, you know what? I'm starting a new religion up, and if you would like to go to church on Sundays for 1.5 hours, I will pray that the pastor will not speak too long. Sing a few songs, pass a few communion wafers. Like Jesus is saying really radical things to us here, things that should challenge us, things that should make us go, Jesus, I'm so grateful for your grace, but because of your grace, I want to live in full, full submission to you. This is how we get rid of worry, though. There's no, like, boom, like, say a special prayer and then all your worries go away. I, I mean, I mean, we all wish there was. But actually, our, our worry is tied to our seeking. Our worry is tied to our seeking. And we'll, when we'll get serious about seeking, so what does seeking God first mean? What does that actually look like? Well, it probably means that every minute of every day is focused on Jesus. Does that mean that I don't work? No, of course not. But it means that like as I'm typing things in, as I'm being an engineer, as I'm selling things, as I'm a student, I'm, I'm doing that through the lens of, of allowing Jesus to work in and through me. It means that I'm probably thinking about God more than like when I eat or when I read my Bible. 
I'm asking God to speak through me, to work through me. I'm asking that as I go through the Starbucks drive through God, would you give me an opportunity to be your hands and feet? This is what it means. This is what it means to seek first the kingdom. And you know what? When we seek first the kingdom, it generally means that we're not as focused on ourselves. And when we're not as focused on ourselves, we don't have time to be worried. I mean, because generally speaking, could you not admit with me, at least I can, I can admit this today, that when I get into a bad place of worry, it's generally all about me. Like, how is this going to look for me? And what's this going to mean for me? And, and, you know, some of the times where I have felt the least amount of worry is when I was focused on other people. So we seek God. We seek the kingdom of God by thinking of others. Finally, this um, we, we need to get serious about living with peace. You know, Psalm 34, verse 14 says, Seek peace and pursue it. And I was thinking about this today. Um, how, how many of you uh, carry your cell phone wherever you go? You just carry your cell phone wherever you go. Okay, so like, um, hold your cell phones up. Everybody just hold them up right, right now. Just, yeah, we're going to do a little demonstration here. Okay, so now if you were to today um, leave your cell phone on the chair you're sitting in, you were to get in your car. I know it's an unthinkable act, but you were to leave your cell phone on the chair you were thinking you're sitting and you were to go get in your car and drive home. Would you come back and get it? Would anybody just leave it for like, okay, you were to leave your phone in Red Deer this week, would you, would you drive back and get it? Okay, like, okay, some of you are not humoring me here. I know you're saying, I would get the upgrade to the iPhone 13 and I would leave it. Okay, just pretend that you are not from Calgary and you don't, okay. Okay, if you were to drive to, let's just go with Medicine Hats a little bit further away. It's a little bit warmer there sometimes. You were to leave your phone in Medicine Hat, would you drive and get it? Lethbridge. Okay, we're going to go further. You were to go all the way to Winnipeg and leave your phone there. Would you find a way? I know, it's getting worse. I'm soon going to end us in Toronto, and you're all going to throw things at me. <laughs> okay, so, so, so we won't go a week or a day or a couple hours without our cell phones because, God forbid, somebody important might call us or something, the weather might change or something. But we leave our peace all the time. We leave it all over the place. We leave it in restaurants and we walk out of the restaurant. We think, well, I, I, guess, I guess I'm just going to go around in circles now and pick up that worry and go... We leave our peace all over the place, and we have no, no way of thinking, I'm, oh, I'm going go, to go get that peace. So, some of us need to square our shoulders back and say, I'm, I'm, I'm contending for peace. I'm going to seek peace, and I'm going to pursue it. And if that means that I left my peace at some meeting with somebody, I'm going back to retrieve it. I'm not, I'm not going to stay in this state. We, we, got it. we can't just be lackadaisical about this because, because Jesus tells us that if we would seek first the kingdom of God, that all these things would be added unto us. But some of us, we, we're so caught up worrying that, that we can't even have all the other things because we got our hands full with all the things we're worried about. I want to call us to be people that seeks peace and pursues it. Listen, as I'm preaching this to you, I am preaching it at myself. 
If I if I am honest, there are ten thousand things I could worry. I, I I mean, just honestly, as your pastor, I worry: Will church ever come back to normal? Like, will, do you remember when like all the seats were full? Some of you have never come to our church. We have staff members that have never been in our church when it's full. Weird. I wonder: Will will it will will people just stop coming to church? Will will my children have to wear masks for all their lives? Some of your babies, I think, are they going to grow up? And I, I, I could worry about all these things, but I'm saying, no, 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 no. I want to worry about those things. And then I want to say, I'm not picking that up. I'm not picking that up. I'm going to seek peace and pursue it. I'm going to seek peace and pursue it. When the doctor gives you a, a hard report, listen, it doesn't matter what it is. We have the choice to pick up that problem and say, I'm going to pet it. I'm going to, or we can say, no, God, I'm not picking that up. I'm going to seek peace and pursue it. This is the final thing. Listen, if we're going to seek peace and pursue it, we got to make worship a daily part of our rhythm. We got to make worship a day. Like worship is not just singing the three songs at the beginning. So we warm ourselves up for something. (laughs) Worship is this ongoing relationship with Jesus where we say, God, I'm, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to declare that you are good. I'm going to declare the name of Jesus over my situation. I'm not going to get trapped in worry and fear. I'm going to determine that this is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, when we were pastoring in, in Toronto in the inner city, we had more kids some days than we had adults. And, um, I would often think of these kids that came from like really hard, hard backgrounds. I know that that morning, that that night before, a child had been chased around with an iron, a hot iron, or had been thrown down a case of stairs, hadn't eaten in two days. You'd see these little kids, and we would feed them and all that kind of thing, but you'd see them come into worship. Now, these are kids, okay? So like naughty kids, like any kid. But when we would worship, you'd see many of them just standing at the front, like their hands raised to Jesus, partly because they like they had nothing else. Sometimes we, we kind of have like the semblance that we have it all figured out. We have it all together. So like, I can just kind of, whatever, God, like I can kind of give you some. I can give you some of me, but not all of me, because that would turn me into a weirdo. You see these little kids, though, just worshiping their hands up. Many of them would be crying. And if kids had anything to worry about, these kids had all the things to worry about. Would my mom be alive when I came home? Would we ever have enough food? Would we ever have to stop moving? But somehow the presence and person of Jesus quelled those worries. None of those kids should have ever become anything. Because, because truthfully, worry stops you from going forward. It stops you from progressing. It stops you from achieving. It stops you from being all the things God wants you to be. Somehow they learned that worship was the thing that was going to... Um, getting their eyes off themselves and getting their eyes on Jesus was going to be the thing that would give them the strength to get through. And I want to tell you the same thing, Journey Church, that worship is going to be what gets your eyes off of yourself, 
You see, when you have your hands lifted, you can't be holding other things. I, I know it's metaphorical, but that's why we lift our hands, right? We believe in an embodied gospel, a gospel that says that our bodies actually matter. We lift our hands because we're saying, God, all the things that I've been holding on to for the last two years, all the things I've been holding on to, God, I'm letting them go and I'm going to worship you. God, I'm letting them go and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my eyes fixed on you. And when the enemy comes to like, you know, because you know even when you begin to worship, sometimes you like worshiping like this. And then you think, oh, also, I think that person was looking at me with a bad look. Jeez. And, and we, have to, we have to train ourselves and discipline ourselves to say, no, I'm not picking that up. I'm keeping my eyes focused on you. Can we just all over the, uh, all over the place, can we stand to our feet? The subversive message of Jesus comes to us, not just to bring us knowledge, but to actually change the way we live change the way we live. All across, the, all across the room today, I'm just going to ask you to lift your hands. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands in an act of surrender saying, Jesus, I, I, I don't want to carry things anymore. I don't want to carry the things that I have been carrying. I want to I know you with full abandonment. I want to seek you, seek first the kingdom of God. God, I, I pray for every person in this room today that you would give us the courage to put down the things that have been turning us in circles. That, that we would, just in this place, would you say, God, I just renounce those ideas, those thoughts, those things that have kept me up at night, the things I've been worried about, the things that I can do nothing about. I give my power to you. I give it over to you. And God, I, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us courage to keep putting those things down, keep putting them down, to seek peace and pursue it when we lose our peace to go after it. Jesus, I, I thank you that you are a God that says if we would seek first your kingdom, that all these things would be added unto us. And so God, I pray for prosperity of hearts and minds in Jesus' name, that all these things, that all these things would be added unto us. Thank you that you are a good God, that you are a God that loves us. As we worship today, God, may you just, may, we, may this be part of our daily rhythm of keeping our eyes focused on you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.